Revelation. Revelation chapter 20. I'd like to talk to you this morning about peace on earth. You know, in our age of information, we know what's happening around the world almost instantaneously. And every time we think things are bad, uh, we look at the news again and they get worse. It gets worse. And uh, I think deep down in our heart, there's always a desire to think, can't, uh, will the world ever, ever, ever be at peace? Well, Revelation chapter 20 gives us a, a, a peek into the future for an unparalleled time of peace. When I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having a key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. It's interesting how many times in this passage of scripture do we find that term thousand years, millennium. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus for the word of God, who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. What a reward for a martyr to be able to live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but that they should be priests of God and of, God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, that's Jerusalem. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them like Sodom and Gomorrah. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. What's the future of the devil? Well, there it is right there. The lake of fire, torture forever and ever. Then when all of that is done, we find uh, this tremendous, what we call the white throne judgment in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away and there was found no more place for them. And I saw the dead small and great standing before God and the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which they were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them and they were judged each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Well, there's an awful lot in this chapter, and we don't propose to get to all of it. 
But we do want to scratch the surface this morning and talk about peace on earth. A former president of the Norwegian Academy of Sciences and historians from England, from Egypt and Germany and India came up with some startling information. They said this, since 3600 BC, the world has known only 292 years of peace. During this period, there have been 14,351 wars, large and small, in which 3.64 billion people have been killed. The value of the property destroyed would pay for a golden belt around the world 97.2 miles wide and 33 feet thick. Since 650 BC, there have also been 1,656 arms races, only 16 of which have not ended in war. The remainder ended in the economic collapse of the countries involved. Joanne and I were in Israel a number of years ago, and we used to take tours over to Israel, lead tours. And uh, I loved to talk to the native people, and we were on a bus in Jerusalem, and I was doing my normal thing, conversing uh, with the nationals. And I said to the guy sitting next to me, I said, what's on the mind of, of the Israelis? What's, what is, what's Israel thinking about most? And, with, and spontaneously, uh, he said, the thing we want most is peace. That's our greatest desire. I know that you know that since the inception of the nation of Israel, the re-inception of the nation of Israel in 1948, uh, the very moment that they declared themselves a nation on the world scene, uh, they were plunged into war, and that war has not let up since that time. Everybody in their heart yearns for peace. Well, this millennium, a thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, will bring exactly that. It will be the heart's desire of the people of the world. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 31, this, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. That's when peace comes. The Lord comes back in His glory. His angels assist Him. And He ascends the throne in Jerusalem. And there He declares peace on earth. What a relief that's going to be, isn't it? Well, you know, this is near Christmas time, and we always bring out those Christmas verses. Isaiah 9, 6, you're going to be really familiar with this. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Uh, we understand that's Christmas. But the next part of that same verse says this, And the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Mighty Counselor, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The government of Christ will bring peace to this world. And then verse 7 says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Uh, this is a government of peace that will last forever. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever. There is coming a forever government on the face of the earth, and it is the government of Christ. It's going to be a government of peace. That's the background of chapter 20. Let's look at it here in verse number 2. 
And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, and which, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. The beginning of this period of peace must start right here, the binding of Satan. Satan is bound. I want you to notice his names here. He's called a dragon. That shows the ferocity, the ferociousness of Satan. He's called a serpent, and that is a reference to his name in the Garden of Eden. He's called the devil, Diabolus, and Satan. This is a world of which uh, we speak that Satan is gone, and all of his demon army, they're gone too. A time of incarceration, won't that be a happy day? That will. They're going into the bottomless pit. 2 Peter 2.4 talked about that. The bottomless pit is mentioned seven times in the book of Revelation. It's a place where fallen angels and demon, demon spirits are placed until the final banishment into the lake of fire. It's kind of like death row. The beast and the false prophet we talked about last Sunday in chapter 19, they're already there. This angel was anonymous. We don't have a name for this angel that was chosen for this task. But we do know this about angels. Angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those of us who are the heirs of salvation. When we pray for things, you know what God does? He sends an angel uh, to give us the answer oftentimes, to move in the situation, to create something for us. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, angels do have emotions, I think. Um, they do go on assignments for God. Uh, remember, Jesus said in Luke 15, 10, Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. So angels are watching down over us, protecting us, guiding us, being the answer to our prayers. And here, all of a sudden, the Lord summons this one anonymous angels and says, Listen, I have a mission to send you on, and here's a big chain to take with you. You take this chain and you bind up the devil. And I think all those angels are probably giving each other five high fives all over the place and saying, how did you get that assignment? That's the best assignment I ever heard of. You're going to be able to go and bind Satan for a period of a thousand years. Well, this is a dramatic declaration that Satan is not God's opposite or equal and that God could easily stop Satan's activity anytime he wanted to Yet God allows Satan to continue because even in his evil, he incredibly, indirectly serves the purposes of God. Satan is not in God's league. Satan is a created angel and God is the creator. I remember when I first started out in the ministry and first started reading the Bible, I read the book of Revelation first. I wanted to know what the end of the story was. And I went out and I bought this big commentary and the name on the commentary is Apocalypse, the Revelation. And it was written by an old author who was, I think, very astute as a scholar, Joseph Seiss. He died in 1904. And it was a series of his lectures on the book of Revelation. And this is what he says about it. He said, this thing of which we speak this morning, this is a literal transaction. The battle is literal. He refers to the Battle of Armageddon. The taking of the beast and the false prophet is literal. The slaying of the kings and their armies, they're literal. Satan is literal, and his binding must be equally literal. What we're talking about is a real event here that's going to happen in the future. 
Well, we believe in the literal interpretation of the Bible. Now, we know that there are symbolisms in the book of Revelation. But when it's plain and it's simple for us to understand, we always choose the literal interpretation first. And we do that for a number of reasons. Uh, we do it because the prophecies in the Old Testament were fulfilled literally in Christ, weren't they? Jesus is to be born in Bethlehem. Where was he born? In Bethlehem. Jesus was to be born of a virgin. He was. In verse number four, we find another thing here. The Bible says, and I saw thrones. Now, this is a very interesting verse to me right here. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. In addition to the throne of God, there are other thrones in the millennial reign of Christ. And here he talks about those sitting on those thrones. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the witness to Jesus and for the word of God, martyrs, tribulation martyrs, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark, 666, on their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. What a, what a reward for being a martyred Christian. Come, I have a throne for you. You're going to rule and reign with me. Well, these tribulation martyrs were executed. Uh, you know, it's amazing to me that the gospel can grow in the most horrendous atmosphere. Many people are afraid of the book of Revelation. I want to encourage you, if you're a believer, please don't be afraid of it. It gives us a glimpse into the glorious future of the coming of Christ and the setting up of his kingdom. It gives you something to talk about to your friends. And somebody reminded me last week, says, Pastor, tell the people it's the only book in the Bible that promises a special blessing to those who read it and those who obey it. Well, uh, the tribulation period is horrendous and it takes up most of the book of Revelation. But in the midst of that, people are coming to Christ and people are falling in love with Jesus and they're being persecuted. And they're being asked to take the mark, 666. This is why we get jittery about microchips when the government, government wants more control over our lives. Uh, this is the way that uh, in the tribulation it is said that they will buy and sell. And uh, we ask ourselves, one of these days, uh, will people try to enforce that? Revelation chapter 13, verse 17 says this, and that no one may buy or sell except one has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. If you have something to sell, you have to have the mark. Uh, if there's something to buy, you need the mark. Now, to be sure, Christians won't take the mark, will they? Because their allegiance is to Jesus Christ. Amen? Their allegiance is to Christ. And... Uh, and it's going to be kind of hard to live on planet Earth without the mark. Well, the Bible often uses the number seven to refer to God and his perfection. But traditionally, six is thought to be the number of a man created on the sixth day, always falling short of God. And so we have 666 in the book of Revelation, and it typifies the satanic trinity, the beast, the false prophet, the dragon, uh, they're all falling short of God, and their effort will fall short too. Well, the purpose of the millennium is manyfold, not the least of which is Christ is going to be the king in Jerusalem, sitting on the throne of David. And since Christmas is knocking on the door right around the corner, 
One of those verses that we bring out is Luke chapter 1. Remember, Gabriel came to talk to Mary, and you know what he said to her? God's going to give him, Jesus, a throne of his father David. He's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there'll be no end. You are going to bear a king. He's going to sit on King David's throne. That's interesting to me. Uh, this is a dynasty. The dynasty of David uh, is... Uh, Christ is in the line of David. In fact, in Matthew's genealogy, Jesus is called Son of David. Uh, the Davidic covenant is given to us in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and one of those verses says this, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you. The Lord's talking to David. Uh, your, your, the people that come after you, and who will come from your body, and I will establish the kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. There are lots of purposes for the kingdom, the thousand-year reign. Uh, God made all these promises to the nation of Israel throughout his history. Remember, there was the promise of the land. Many people call that the Palestinian covenant. And it's given to us in Genesis 15 and Numbers 34, and it outlines the exact borders of the nation of Israel. Do you know that the nation of Israel has yet ever to encompass those specific boundaries? But when Christ comes back, he's going to push those boundaries out, okay? Uh, I promise this to you, you're going to get it now during the millennial reign. That's the Palestinian covenant. And then there is the Davidic covenant of which I just mentioned, that uh, Jesus is born in the line of King David, and he's going to assume the throne of David. And then there's the new covenant, and we are especially interested in this, because you and I are enjoying the collateral blessings of the new covenant. We really are. Remember, the new covenant was the promise that Israel as a nation would return to God and worship Jesus Messiah. Well, these covenants made with Israel are going to come into full effect during this time. It's going to be an exciting time for Israel. And of course, if you are a believer in Jesus, it's an exciting time for you as well. One of the great things about this whole period of time is that Israel will be saved. You know, we talk a lot about being saved in our society, don't we? You know, in our church and other churches, Bible preaching churches, you have to be saved, right? Uh, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Well, one of these nations, the nation of Israel, one of these days, the nation of Israel in mass is going to be saved. Now, if you were to go to Israel today and mention being saved, you would be turned off real quick. Because they don't believe that uh, our Jesus Messiah is indeed their Jesus Messiah. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 11, verse 26, And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob and they will look upon him whom they have pierced. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 says this, Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. Now remember we talked about that last week. The second coming of Christ, everybody will see him. Nobody will be left out. And the, those who pierced him, the nation of Israel. Can you imagine this? They hung him on a cross 2,000 years ago because they thought he was an imposter. He was a blasphemer. 
And now they see him coming back on a white horse uh, with a white robe with red blood uh, on the side of his white robe declaring to be king of kings and lord of lords. And they will realize that, yes, indeed, this was indeed Jesus, the Messiah of Nazareth. And the Bible says here, they, they will see him whom they have pierced and they will mourn. What a mistake they made. But that mistake will be rectified because he's coming then as a conquering king. And that's exactly the way they wanted to see him in the first place, right? They didn't want a suffering servant. They were suffering enough. They didn't want uh, just another person to suffer with them. They wanted someone to liberate them. And so thanks be to God today, Jesus, Messiah, is coming back to liberate the nation of Israel. And they are going to say, yes, we made a mistake, but we're going to make it right. And we're going to believe in now. Paul said in Romans, all Israel will be saved. They will recognize him. And then peace will break out over the world. The United Nations building uh, in New York will be empty as a monument to the futile attempts of man to bring peace. In fact, the sign, one of the signs out in front of the UN building in, in New York is a biblical passage, Isaiah 2.4. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares their, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. That's a prophecy. The war academies, as we know them, will be empty. No more need for war. The military academy at West Point will be closed. The naval academy at Annapolis, Maryland will be closed. The Coast Guard Academy in New London, Connecticut will be closed. The U.S. Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, Colorado will be closed never to open again because we won't be learning war anymore. What a relief. Jerusalem will be the capital of the world. Uh, it's not much of a capital today, but it'll be the center of activity because that's where the king will reign, the king of peace. Uh, Ezekiel says there's going to be a millennial temple built there in Jerusalem. And I mentioned in the first service that uh, I encourage people to go home and look up on your, on your browser the Temple Institute because they're working real hard in Israel to provide the, the uh, instruments and the things that are needed in the, in the to-be-rebuilt temple on, on the mount in Jerusalem. Now, there is this problem. And the problem is there is a mosque on that Temple Mount right now. And I don't know how that's ever going to be worked out. But the many in Israel are looking forward to a temple being rebuilt there. And that's going to be the temple of the Lord on earth. The Bible says at that time that the world will have the knowledge of God. Isaiah 11:9. They shall not hurt nor destroy my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There won't be anywhere on the face of the earth that people won't understand the knowledge of God. Wow. Like the waters cover the sea. Actually, the characteristics of the, of the Garden of Eden uh, will start to come into play. The curse will be lifted. Animals will live in peace instead of living off of each other. The Bible says the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard 
shall lie down with a young goat and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Now, this is going to be what it is in the millennium right here. Uh, that couldn't happen, I don't think, today, do you? Uh, can you imagine a little child taking his lion out for a walk? Yeah, come on. What a pet. Well, a peace. The animal kingdom will be at peace, too, and fields will be productive. One of the items of the curse was that the earth would be hard, it would be a hard place to work at, and the thorns and the thistles would, would just kill all of the things that you're trying to grow, and all of that is over. And Isaiah 32 says, until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is counted as a forest. Well, this is a perfect environment. It really is. Uh, the millennium is important because it will reveal the depths of man's rebellious nature in a perfect environment. Now, up until this time, it sounds real good, doesn't it? But I don't like that part that says that Satan will be released for a while. You know, when I was reading it the first time, I said, oh, thank God he's gone. Until the Bible says, oh, after the millennium, at the end of the millennium, he's going to be released. And he's going to marshal so many people again against God. And this is amazing to me because, because how many people would there be that lived in a perfect environment that would fall for the trick of the devil? Well, I think that it looks to me like there's going to be a lot of them. And the implication is that uh, these people were living in a perfect environment, but a perfect environment can't save anybody. Because man inwardly is lost and alienated from God and has a fallen nature. And so uh, many people have said to you and to me, listen, if it, was, if it wasn't for my environment, I'd be a different person. Well, nobody in the millennium will be able to say that because the environment is perfect. Now, these people were going through the motions of following the teaching of God in the millennium. Outward conformity to Jesus' rule will be required during his reign. But seemingly an inward embrace of his lordship will still be up to the individual. God will not force himself on people even during the millennium. And at the end of the millennium, when Satan is loose for a short period of time, he marshals this mass of people once again to come against God. Uh, human nature will come out. They will turn against God. And it will be proved once more that man, whatever his advantages and his environment is, uh, cannot save him. It's only the grace of God. It's only the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. It's only the blood of the Lord that can save a person who grows up in the finest environment. How many people do you know that have gone to church all of their life, but they are still separated from God? Uh, they have conformed to the teaching of the church and the, and the dictates of their parents, but uh, they are not saved. Well, uh, this proves one more time that a perfect environment can't save anybody, even if Jesus is on the throne teaching his principles in person. Think of that, in person. Then last, we have the great white throne judgment. One of the first verses of scripture I ever learned to memorize as a kid coming to Christ was Hebrews 9.27. It says, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the what? The judgment, right? 
yes, all of us are on our way to eternity. We all have to go one way or another, and some time or another, but everybody has to stand before God. And the great white throne judgment is, uh, is the end of the road for those who do not accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's kind of a, an, an ominous story. It, it really is. But the good news is this. Whenever we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we don't have to stand at this judgment. This is not for you. This is not for me. Because our sins have been judged in Christ on the cross. Jesus took our judgment, took our condemnation, took our guilt, pushed us out of the way, and became our substitute, our substitute to satisfy the justice of God. In, when you believe in Jesus Christ, God is satisfied with the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. He's more than satisfied with that. Uh, just as though you died upon the cross, Jesus paid your price. And so whenever a person accepts Jesus Christ, they never, ever have to answer for their sin before God because it's all under the blood. Every single sin that we've ever committed. Now, we're amazed at that. And, and sometimes when I say that, I'm, I'm thinking, is that really true? Because it's so great. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. No condemnation now. That's why we love the hymn so much. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost and now I'm found was blind. But now I see. It's amazing, isn't it? That he would forgive us of all of that. And so we're inspired to go on uh, to tell people, listen, you don't want to stand at, the great, at, uh, at this great white throne judgment. Because this is a sentencing, not a trial. Those who stand before this throne have nothing to say. Uh, there will be a judge, but no jury, a prosecution, but no defense, a sentence, but no appeal. Uh, this is the end of the line right here. Well, the good news is the church has the answer today, and the answer is in the forgiveness of Christ, the preaching of the gospel. And so this week, wherever you go, church, take the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tell people, yeah, the world is bad, it's going to get, it's going to get worse, but then one of these days it'll get better, and you'll be on the winning side if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Robert Louis Stevenson tells of a storm that caught a vessel off a rocky coast and threatened to drive this vessel and its passengers to destruction. In the midst of the terror, one daring man, contrary to orders, went to the deck, made a dangerous passage to the pilot house, and saw the steerman lashed fast to his post, holding the wheel of this ship unwaveringly, and inch by inch turning the ship out once more to sea, the pilot looked over and, and saw the watcher and smiled. Then the daring passenger went below and gave out a note of cheer. He said, I've seen the face of the pilot, and he smiled. All is well. Well, let me say to you today that when you read your Bible, you see the face of the pilot in the pages of the Bible. And God says to us in no uncertain terms, all is well. I have everything under control. Just trust me. 
I may even give you a throne to rule on with me when you believe in me. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today in prayer, let me ask you this question. Uh, are you ready for the future? Are you ready to face the future without fear? If you can't answer that question, I have good news for you. You can be ready. Because the Bible says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants you to know that you have eternal life. Not hope so, not, not, not be wishy-washy about it, but knowing for sure. And Jesus will come to you and save you if you'll just ask him. He is the Savior and he's the only way. And so right there in your seat today, I'd like to encourage you to come to Christ. You can bow your heads, you can close your eyes, you can make your heart an altar and say, Lord, I need you. I'm separated from you, I know it. Come into my heart, come into my life today. Forgive me of my sins, change me. Send your spirit to live in my life because I wanna follow you. I wanna be an ambassador in this world for your grace, your love, and your forgiveness. And if you come to God just in your own words, it doesn't have to be those prescribed words, but if he looks down and sees humility in your heart, he'll save you. And you can walk out of this church today a new person in Christ. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this day which you've given to us. I pray now that as the Holy Spirit ministers to our church that uh, you will move among us today. And for that person that needs you most, I pray that this will be the day of their salvation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation song.